0: This time of year is great for us gardeners. We get to really enjoy the fruits of our labour, and often this can be quite literally. Many of us will be spending this month tucking into our homegrown harvests and turning them into delicious dishes.
1: People recommend you use them on a cocktail stick in a gin and tonic or something like that, so that's probably a good use. <laughs>
0: Or we'll be sitting outside, admiring the spectacular
2: garden displays we've created. Once I started, I began to appreciate the form of the plants, the spines, the colours. You know, they're just fascinating, endlessly fascinating, I think. Or perhaps we'll be enjoying the
0: wildlife that shares our outdoor spaces with us.
3: The sound of grasshoppers and crickets, it to me, is the sound of a healthy garden and a, and a nice environment to be in.
0: That's what this month's issue of The Garden Magazine is all about. Celebrating the wonder of the gardens around us. I'm Chris Young, the magazine's editor, and this is The Garden Podcast. In this show, I like to introduce you to the people behind the stories in the RHS monthly publication for members. So let's start today's flick through our August issue with cucumbers. Before we moved to our present house, which was about four years ago, we used to have this lovely but admittedly rather weather-beaten octagonal greenhouse. It wasn't anything particularly special, but for us it was a prized possession in the veg garden you approached the greenhouse by going past four rectangular wooden beds. And in the greenhouse, I was always so proud, because each summer we'd have tomatoes, basils, and, you've guessed it, cucumbers. I always managed to bot some hanging wires and posts for the cucumbers to climb through, and we normally got a really good crop. But for me, I was always growing cucumbers under glass. But a recent RHS plant trial of cucumbers set out to identify the tastiest and the most reliable varieties for growing outside, and that's actually something I'm doing this year in my new garden. There were two new awards of garden merit were given out from the trial, and the old favourite, Marketmore, had its award reconfirmed, which means it continues to grow and be a winner for most gardeners across the country. In this month's magazine, we go through these results with vegetable expert and writer Sue Stickland.
1: I've been growing cucumbers as long as I can remember gardening, really, but they've certainly changed a lot over the years. More recently, I've been growing the kind of smaller, crisper cucumbers rather than trying to grow long, what I call Vickers Tea Party cucumbers. (laughs)
0: A lot of people think cucumbers have to be grown under glass. So, what are the best ones for growing outside in a UK climate?
1: Well, traditionally, there used to be varieties that were called ridge cucumbers, and they were very, had quite prickly skins, they were short. They were what people used to grow outside. But now there's a whole range that you can grow outside some from Middle East, some from East European breeding and they've got a lot smoother skin, some of them are quite long. I think the key is to look at the seed packet or look at the catalogue and see whether it tells you whether you can grow it outside or not.
0: I mean, over the years, I've grown a few cucumbers, mainly Burplus tasty green, which I've normally had pretty good success with in, in our small greenhouse. But I'd often get powdery mildew. What is this mildew? Why does it happen? And how do you ensure that it doesn't happen again?
1: Powdery mildew, yes, that's a, a very important cucumber disease. And that it does depend on variety. A lot of modern breeding is aimed at reducing cucumber susceptibility to powdery mildew. But there are things you can do in your own garden or in a greenhouse, and one is to try and increase the airflow. I think if you're growing them outside, then traditionally ridge cucumbers would be left to trail over the ground, but I think you get much better results if you train them upwards on maybe just a tripod of canes or on netting, and so that you get more airflow around them.
0: And that helps reduce the susceptibility to mildew, doesn't it?
1: And and if you keep them well watered, Watered at the roots, but try and keep the leaves dry, which of course you can do in a greenhouse. So those two things really, well three things, the variety, look for one that's mildew resistant. I think in the RHS trial this summer, they certainly picked out two or three that really did suffer badly from powdery mildew.
0: So if we think of cucumbers and we start thinking of their relatives, what about gherkins? Are they actual cucumber relatives and, and how do people grow them?
1: I'm not sure that there's any real botanical definition of a gherkin. I mean, gherkins, by definition, are outdoor cucumbers grown for pickling, I would say. And they're picked small so that they've got very high dry matter, so that they're good for pickling. But often you see a variety called a gherkin, but actually it says if you let it grow a bit larger, then it's good for eating as a cucumber as well. So
0: what other relatives of cucumbers should people try? I know there's cucamelons, which, again, I've, I've tried once and almost took over the whole of the greenhouse. What are cucamelons?
1: Cucamelons have had a, a, quite a good press, haven't they? They've had quite they a, have. A, quite, quite they suddenly became very
0: trendy, didn't they? They yes.
1: did, yeah. I'm not surprised because they're so pretty. The fruit is so pretty. They're, they're very small and they're flecked. And another name for them is mouse melon, I think, which gives you some indication I usually do give in and grow a plant. I usually <laughs> grow them in a pot in the greenhouse, or you could grow them in a pot on a sunny patio. The plant is actually pretty too, The it's mm. very, isn't it? So, But actually, I find they have very thick skins. People recommend you use them on a cocktail stick in a gin and tonic or something like that. So uh, that's probably a good use. <laughs>
0: Sue Stickland. We've got plenty more in this month's magazine to keep your green fingers busy. Now we know that many local authorities are under a huge amount of financial pressure at the moment so it's really pleasing to see when a public open space is maintained, it's managed and it's loved to such a high standard. Preston Rock Garden on the busy A23 London to Brighton Road in Brighton is one such open space, and garden writer Patty Barron gives us a fascinating overview of this special public garden. The Garden magazine is, I hope, synonymous with great garden photography, but especially so are plant plates. These are photographs where we compare different plants or selections of plants on the same photograph next to each other. This helps to compare and contrast and really understand the detail of the plants we're talking about. This issue, we actually have four plates, one on cucumbers, one on hibiscus and two from RHS Garden Rosemore. If you've never been to Rosemore, which is in North Devon, do try. It's a gem of a garden laid out with lots of different garden rooms. And the article this month looks at two of those rooms. One's called the cool garden, the other the hot garden. And our photography shows you some of the key players in what makes these gardens. And it's also a timely reminder of the flower power you can get in a July garden, whether you like it hot or cold. Other things from the August issue include Rachel Detame talking about containers, Joel Ashton wows us with his wonder of wildlife, and Lealine Duds talks about the role of hedging in helping cut pollution. Plus there's tons of practical advice, award-winning hypericums and the latest news. Wow, I hope that keeps everyone nice and busy. At The Garden, we love to meet passionate growers from across the country with a taste for the unusual, and this month's edition is no different. You won't see many plots like garden designer Paul Spracklin's. His green space is home to an array of cacti and succulents from around the world. You may be surprised to find out that these aren't house plants, but they actually spend the year outdoors, and he's made it all possible in the British climate.
2: My interest in tropical gardening, I can actually pin that down fairly accurately. The first time I had some outside space of my own was um, back in 1985. I had a flat with half a garden. I'd been torturing a Fatsia japonica in a dusty corner somewhere. Not knowing any different, I decided to release it, and I planted it in this half of the garden. And, of course, it did extremely well. So... That set off a very strange thing in the back of my mind where I thought, what other plants can I grow that look like houseplants? And that's what started me off on what's become a 35 year obsession with trying to make my garden look like houseplants. The first cacti that I planted were opuntias. Um, they're the most widely grown. If people are growing a cactus outside at all, then generally speaking, it would be an opuntia, which is one of the flat padded ones. I also grew some of the smaller miniature balls, I suppose, little tiny things. There's an awful lot of those that are very hardy and they flower quite spectacularly. Echinocereus and some of the smaller Echinopsis and uh, some of those plants. I think drainage is very important one of the things that i say is that if you were going to grow a water lily you wouldn't dig a hole in the garden and plant it because it wouldn't last very long it needs certain conditions and um, similarly if you're growing cacti you have to give them certain conditions or you can't just dig a hole in your normal garden soil and then plant one so um, the best idea really if you're growing cacti is to let the root area drain perfectly so if you could make a raised bed backfill with freely dry, some sort of freely draining medium and plant the cactus in the, the raised bed, then the immediate root area of the cactus is never going to get waterlogged. Eventually, the roots find the um, soil. Then that's a good thing because that makes them grow more sturdy once they get their roots into the soil. But I think the immediate root ball at the base of the plant is um, drainage is uh, very, very important there. I don't feed or water my plants very much, my justification that for that is um, not just laziness but also uh, I believe that if you grow the plants hard it makes them tougher somehow, so they're more prepared for winter if they uh, haven't got lots of soft growth. So I don't feed or water the plants. Newly established plants I might water occasionally through the season, but um, the big established plants, I just leave them to their own devices, really. So um, I'd say that they're a a very easy care thing. And certainly with um, increasing summer droughts, it's a joy not to have to drag the hose around that half of the garden, I have to say. I enjoy doing something a bit different. I enjoy having an exotic garden, and I enjoy having an exotic garden that suits my growing conditions. So I I enjoy the fact that they will tolerate drought. But then once I started, I began to appreciate the form of the plants, the spines, the colours. You know, they're just fascinating, endlessly fascinating, I think. I think people do have to look at new types of plants to grow because extended summer droughts are going to be an increasing thing, I believe. Whether they go as far as this, I I don't know. It's a bit of an all-encompassing thing, really. I think you have to have the interest and um, want to put in the research and uh, that kind of thing. Everybody should be growing plants that have a nod to the um, changing environment.
0: garden really is quite a feat and when i first saw the photographs i was blown away i was really thinking can you actually grow all of these cacti outside year round in the uk i'd never really seen anything like it i'd actually seen some apuntia cacti growing outside in a local housing development in peterborough but i've never seen anything on the scale of what paul is achieving you can see and read more about paul's garden in the august edition of the magazine Visit certain parts of RHS Garden and Wisley in late summer and you'll be met by a chorus of beautiful song. Not bird song, but some cricket and grasshopper melodies. Britain has more than 30 species of these charismatic insects and many of them are rare and in need of our help. My colleague Andy Salisbury from the RHS science team has a love for all things crawling and hopping and has written a fantastic article about why we should all love these summer songsters. He's here to tell me more about their iconic sound.
3: Like many things in the animal world, it's all about sex. Grasshoppers and crickets sing. The crickets are using their wings and the grasshoppers use their legs to against their wing. It's usually the males which make the most noise and that is to defend the territory and attract in uh, the legs, basically. So it's the... The reason why they stridulate or or make this noise is to tell other males to go away and bring in uh, the females. In some species of grasshoppers, the females do respond as well. Grasshoppers and crickets are two different groups of animals, and there are some differences that are quite easy to spot. Crickets generally have very long antennae, longer than the bodies, whereas grasshoppers often have short antennae which often don't reach far beyond the beginning of the base of the wings. Also with crickets they actually use their wings to make their noise or stridulate and they're one wing against the other whereas grasshoppers use their legs to rub against the wing and each species of cricket has their own noise and to hear some of them you have to use a bat detector. I've always loved grasshoppers and crickets. They're some of the largest insects in Britain. And many are large, quite a few are rare. Some are predatory. Everybody thinks a cricket is going to be um, something that feeds on grasses and leaves. But actually, a large number of our bush crickets are pretty predatory and will eat other insects. I think one of my favourite species of the crickets is the wart biter. Now, this is very rare in Britain, but I have fond memories of Holidays in France and, and Switzerland. It's a large bush cricket, about three centimeters long. It, it is one of these which has those long side-like overpositors. But it's the history of its name as well, which is quite interesting. It's called wart biter for a very good reason. In several areas of Europe, its large jaws were used to carry out uh, the medical procedure that its name suggests. They were used to bite off warts. <laughs> Weasley is home to a population of the wood cricket. I really have fond memories of first seeing them at Weasley. been at Weasley for a long time, uh, over 20 years now. On one of the first walks around I had of the garden, I looked down, I saw these little wood crickets running around. I thought, my God, that's a really rare insect that's really not found anywhere outside of the New Forest or, or on the Isle of Wight. But it turns out that that is a well-known population of this cricket uh, that the garden supports. The story goes, the wood crickets arrived with some plants from the New Forest, from a, a well-known nursery in New Forest in the 1920s or 1930s. And we also don't know why they have thrived in the area, but it is something that they, they seem to do really well at least Garden. Several species of our grass crickets are under threat, yet those species seem to have spread recently and have moved further north. So, for example, there is something called the field cricket, which is a large cricket that's uh, over two centimetres long. And that became so rare that it is now part of a Back from the Brink programme, a group of organisations trying to save that insect from extinction. And then there are some really rare things. There is something called the mole cricket, which is, as its name suggests, it lives under the soil, it has really enlarged front legs. Native population that hadn't been seen for a good 20 years until some researchers went into the new forest with sound detecting equipment. They're actually looking for another insect, but they heard this noise, they realized it was a mole cricket, and they then, after looking around, found there was a population of 20 or 30 of these things which had gone undetected for 20 years, and that's the only population known in the UK. The other things have turned up more widely. So the uh, conehead crickets have begun to spread northwards, as is some called the sounds bush cricket, and they've begun to turn up in people's gardens. To me, the uh, sound of uh, grasshoppers and crickets is one of the best sounds of summer, it's, it's a real sign that so you're in a healthy environment Whether you're walking through grass or going through a woodland. Or coming across to these creatures on a walk, or in your own garden, the sound of grasshoppers and crickets—it to me is the sound of a healthy garden and a, and a nice environment to be. In.
0: Andy Salisbury. I don't know about you, but I mainly think of that sound of crickets or grasshoppers being on holiday when you're in the Mediterranean at the end of the evening. But if you've ever been lucky enough to walk through a British meadow and just sit for a time in high summer and just let everything settle around you, you will start to hear the buzz of life get louder and louder. And that certainly means crickets and grasshoppers. It's a really special sound, but something that we don't necessarily think of hearing all the time. For more on today's topics, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast Next month, we'll be looking forward to the September issue of the magazine. I can't quite believe where this year is going, but yep, it's definitely going to be September. From a feature on the Cotswold Wildlife Park, and yes, probably for the first time ever, we'll be including photos of rare birds and rhinos, to a tropically inspired Nottinghamshire garden, Plus a celebration of all things hydrangeas. I hope there'll be plenty in it for you. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Chris Young.